Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands. Anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. What is going on, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with one of the founders of Only Travel, David Logan. Now, to get right into it, David, what made you decide to start Only Travel and designing bags? I'm the classic kid who, at age uh, 19, took a year off after two years of college because I didn't want to know what I wanted to do, and I um, caught the took my '65 Valiant and drove across the U.S. Um, caught the cheapest flight I could to Europe and then hitchhiked around Europe for six months, Europe and North Africa. Sounds like a great experience. So I, um, you know, the the travel bug was sort of born at that time. Since that time, I've always enjoyed traveling light and traveling easily and flexibly and not having to carry a lot. And so what occurred to me was that as technology has evolved, it has actually become easier to travel light because fabrics are more lightweight and high-tech. Things that used to fill up a bag now are essentially on your cellular phone. You know, I think of you used to carry around a, um, you know, a notepad. You used to carry around a, um, a diary or a day timer. You used to carry around, a, you know, travel guides, etc. You don't have to do any of that now. So it's a lot easier to travel light, and there's a lot of advancement in fabrics that enable lightweight, quick-drying fabrics, so you can take one shirt, wash it, hang it up, and it's you know clean and dry the next morning. But it's also much more necessary to travel light because airlines are charging increasing fees for baggage because there are limitations on how much space you have on airplanes and um, all of those kinds of pressures. And so what occurred to me was that no one really was championing how to travel light in a way that was efficient and effective, not only for adventure travelers, but also for everyday business travelers and, you know, normal, uh, you know, vacation travelers. And it occurred to me that I could probably design a bag that would meet all three of those needs. That could be an adventure bag, that could be a a frequent flyer bag, and that could also be a bag that you take, you know, if you and your family were going somewhere. For sure. So how did you, how did your son Kyle get involved? Well, um, I got as far as designing the product um, and had done, I think, the first prototype and had a very rudimentary website up. And Kyle was a Peace Corps volunteer in Ukraine. And he came back from Ukraine and um, 
wasn't sure what he wanted to do. So I, I said, well, why don't you work for me? I said, I'd have every imaginable need for this business. I need a logistic system. I need a warehouse. I need a functioning website. I need to find somebody who can do social media. I need to, um, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I need photo content, et cetera. And so he, in, in essence, became our operations vice president. So essentially what I concentrate on is the product and the marketing, and he concentrates on all the operations. That's interesting. What's it, what is it like running a business with your son? That's great. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not often in life that you get a chance to do something this meaningful with your adult children. So, um, you know, we, we have a great time together planning, uh, you know, events and strategizing what to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's really been a wonderful sort of father-son bonding experience. That's really awesome. And now over time, so it took some time to prototype the bag to where it is currently. Um, what did you learn uh, during that journey of getting those first few iterations back, working with manufacturers that are overseas? Was there anything that really like stood out to you as, as um, you know, quite the learning lesson? Well, the learning curve was extremely uh, steep. Um, you know, we um, we learned among among other things that all suppliers are not equal. Some are a lot better than others. Some have much better attention to quality. <clears throat> Some have much better ideas. Some have much better um, uh, English-speaking capabilities. My, my daughter actually is fluent in Chinese, so we were able to, to, um, uh, you know, to work with the, the potential Chinese vendors pretty effectively, you know, using her to translate. But the, um, we actually ended up going with Vietnamese vendors uh, because um, they were so much more proactive and helpful and had such a better understanding of, you know, the, the way to make a bag in a high-quality uh, way and in a way that, um, you know, we could be confident would meet the needs of uh, the customers we envisioned. We also learned <clears throat> the value of, in essence, road testing. Every bag that we got, we took out and we tried out and we stress tested it. And we learned a lot from that. In fact, one of the key features of the bags, of the bag, um, which is, I don't know if you've seen it, but we have a feature where you can unzip the front of the backpack and literally strap it to the back of the airplane seat in front of you. And then there's a shelf that folds down and becomes a shelf for your tablet. So you can actually be in the middle seat, have all the legroom you want, have access to all your things, and still have a tablet you, you can either work on for emails or you can watch a movie on, all uh, basically with this, um, this system. And that came from basically playing around with the pieces on an initial beta test where I took the bag on a flight um, to Chicago and was playing around with could I make it uh, fit around the tray in the seat in front of me. And what came out of that was the idea to build this um, this seatback system, which is now one of the main, main features of the bag. That's really awesome. Now, uh, when you started um, Only Travel, did you have to raise any capital? Did you start it from savings? How did you get things off the ground? I have done the entire thing with savings. So, you know, it, 
at one level, that is a personal risk because it's all my own savings, um, and, you know, and my own invested capital. At another level, you know, it means, you know, we have complete control of the company uh, and we can, you know, do what we want if we need to. A good example of that is we actually had the product arrive, our initial shipment, in, um, uh, in the U.S., in late January of 2019, and we could have started shipping, selling and shipping it then on our website, but we made the decision to go on Kickstarter, which would launch in early April, and that gave us essentially a much longer period of time to rigorously inspect all the product. So, you know, a, a company that has pressures from outside investors probably would never make a decision like that. But, you know, just being the two of us, we could make decisions like that. That's interesting. So you already paid for the production run before you did the Kickstarter campaign. Yes, yes. That's interesting because most brands typically use Kickstarter as a way to fund the actual um, production run. Yeah, a lot of them do. Um, but there's a surprising number that use Kickstarter essentially as an initial marketing channel. And that's really the way we thought about it, um, was it would get attention. It would, you know, it would get us, uh, you know, there were actually several blogs that wrote articles about us. Um, and, um, uh, you, you know, so we got a lot of attention from launching on Kickstarter that we never would have got if it had just been, you know, sort of us in uh, our own lonely little um, website you know, trying to promote it, promote our bag. So that, that was our strategy. But yeah, we did need to have enough capital for the initial run. That's interesting. So I, I know on, on the Kickstarter campaign, your goal was $8,000. You clearly crushed that and went over 60000 What Was that your expectations? Was it above or below what you were hoping for in that initial sort of promotion? Well, the thing about Kickstarter, if, you've, if like us, you have never done it before, is you just plain don't know, right? I mean, you, you, you study it, you ask other people who've done things on Kickstarter, you, um, uh, you know, you read the one in a million stories of somebody who cracked a million dollars, um, you know, and, and you, you read about the fact that some very high percentage actually never meet their goal. So what I did is I thought about it and I said, you know, I hope we sell, um, you know, sort of $8,000 worth of bags, because that's probably what we're going to spend in, you know, building out the web page and initial advertising to get people for an initial mailing list and so on. And so I said, let's just try to break even on it. So that was how I set the goal. Turned out we did much, much better than that. Um, and it was a lot of word of mouth. You know, a lot of people who were excited about the product, uh, you know, who'd never seen the idea of a bag you could take apart and reconfigure into different configurations um, and could see the usefulness of it. And they told other people. That's interesting. Now, uh, did you run out of inventory from the Kickstarter pro uh, promotion? Um, because like you said, you, you, you created, you purchased and created the inventory and had it shipped to you before you even started the campaign. Was that at all a fear? It was, it was a risk, but uh, um, we did not run out. We actually um, had enough inventory to ship the Kickstarter 
orders immediately upon the conclusion of the Kickstarter campaign, which was impressive to many of the Kickstarter community members who had supported us because they're used to waiting months for the product. Sure, yeah. So the fact that they got it in, uh, you know, a, a week or so, um, and that it was exactly as advertised and was of high quality, I think got us very good, you know, kind of word of mouth reviews. Um, and uh, and so, um, yeah, we were, I mean, we, we took a lot of risks in starting the business, as does any entrepreneur, um, you know, and, and, and in our case, mostly with our own money. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the Kickstarter, you have the Kickstarter under your belt. You've successfully um, created and promoted the campaign. What was the next step for you guys? I assume you had to replenish your inventory and then start looking at other sorts of marketing channels to really get um, only travel out there. Exactly. So, you know, we began to advertise for our website. We... Um, we uh, got launched uh, on Amazon, so we're also available on uh, on Amazon. Uh, one of the complexities there is there are various status levels on Amazon, and um, the one that we really needed to have an impact required us to have an official U.S. registered trademark, which um, is not a fast process. So we... Um, we launched on Amazon, I think, in about you know, April or May, and we finally got our registered trademark that enabled us to really get going on Amazon uh, in November. So um, you know, it took a while to do that. Then we began to explore uh, other channels. Uh, we were um, recruited by The Gromit, which is an online retailer, and so our product is carried on their site. Uh, we were recruited by Touch of Modern, which does flash sales, to promote new products, and we've had a couple of very successful uh, flash sales with uh, Touch of Modern. And then we were recruited by the beta stores, which are an avant-garde um, chain of stores that promote creative new entrepreneurial product, uh, and we launched in those. So today, we are essentially, we have all of those channels running plus a a few, a small number of small independent retailers that have been interested in the product. Um, and, uh, you know, we're looking to expand off of that base. So you're doing a pretty even split between direct-to-consumer and retail sales. Yes, we um, we are obviously, you know, the, the key to, um, you know, having a, a v-commerce product is to start on the web so that from there you control your brand and your pricing. So what controls all of our brand and our pricing is our, uh, you know, our, our own website. And then everything that we do with a partner um, is calibrated so that it's market, from a marketing point of view, it's consistent with, um, you know, with our own website. That's interesting. Now, do you, have you noticed, like, obviously the bag is catered towards travelers, right? People... Um, from taking a couple day trips to um, more serious long-term travel. Have you found um, in sort of being around for a year now and selling a number of bags that you have a specific demographic that really um, have been drawn to, to the bag? So, you know, we've, we've been trying very hard to discern that because one of the 
pieces of advice you get when you start up as an entrepreneur is define, define, define your target audience. And what we have discovered is that our appeal is much broader than we thought. If you think about it, what percentage of the, just take the U.S. population, travels? It's a pretty high percentage. And what percentage would like to travel more effortlessly with less stress and more efficiently? That's a pretty high percentage. Too. I think everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're. I don't want to say universal need because there are people who don't travel and there are people who just are going to check five bags each weighing 55 pounds and, you know, get them when they get to the other airport. But those people are the exception. So, you know, the, um, what we found is there are a couple of, um, of audiences that I think are core. One is very frequent business travelers. And by the way, very frequent business travelers tend to also be adventure travelers. When they go on vacation, they use their travel skills to go trekking in Peru or to go, um, you know, hiking in Alaska or something like that. They don't, they tend not to take, you know, kind of boring everyday run of the mill vacations. So we found that there's one segment of people who are, you know, very frequent business travelers with a kind of adventurous orientation seem to be. And then a second is classic digital nomads, people who literally are going to go and wander Europe for five months, like I did when I was 19, and want something that will support them through that whole experience. So those are at least two segments that seem to you know, have heavily taken up our bag. Um, a third, I would say, is just people who are interested in innovation and want something better, you know. So you know that that want to be able to get more efficiently through a TSA check, you know, um, uh, checkpoint lane. Want to be able to, you know, just essentially not have a hassle when they have to carry a bag onto a plane. Who want to be able to drop their suitcase in their, um, you know, in their lodge or their hotel when they get to their donation and get out on the street or hiking in the woods with a backpack, you know, and, and, and I think I'd say those are the three main segments. It's interesting how you learn more about your demographic as time goes on. Um, but you're not, you, it's funny when you were saying that it's like, yeah, obviously like the person who's going for the all inclusive five day trip to Aruba probably isn't thinking about this sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Okay, so let's let's talk about the manufacturing a bit. How do you keep like obviously there's like a few pieces to it. Um, one is a trust uh, piece, right, where you have this relationship with a manufacturer that you trust to develop to build the product that you want up to the specifications that you're looking for. Because obviously, at the end of the day, you don't want any of your customers to be uh, disappointed with the quality or in, in any sort of aspect of it. Um, but aside from that, how do you keep sustainability sort of front in mind when um, having a business that, that builds product? Well, I, I think a, a couple of things there. One, one is let's talk about quality, and then let's talk about, um, about sustainability. So quality you know, we specify all of the components. So, for example, every zipper in our bag 
is YKK zipper. That's more expensive, but YKK has the highest quality zippers on the planet. Um, we, you know, we specified. I don't know how many books of fabric we we uh, we looked at before specifying the fabric that we have. Um, and um, you know, so we went to great pains to you know to to figure out exactly what we were going to put into the bag and to design it so it would be very rugged. So, for example, if you look at the bag, you'll see that anywhere it's near the bottom, there's an extra layer of extra thick black um, uh, ballistic nylon that basically is there so that it won't get scraped up or rubbed in those kinds of, of locations. Similarly, you'll see that the, ha the handles are actually riveted to the bag. Uh, you know, for strength and things like that. So the, the quality aspect has a component aspect to it, a design aspect to it. And then, of course, the third is the manufacturer. And in that regard, you know, we work with several manufacturers and had them bid on the product and then ended up going with the one that seemed to have the best quality system. And then what we did is we found a firm that had essentially American ownership, but had an office in Vietnam as well to do full party inspection. So we got the benefit of um, somebody that had an inspection firm based in Vietnam to inspect the product, but had U.S. experience with U.S. consumers in, you know, backpack and luggage products so that they, you know, we could get the real skinny on what we needed to insist on. We actually stopped an initial shipment of our products for about two weeks to fix a problem that we found, uh, you know, based on the inspection. So, so I think those are the three legs to the quality are the, the components themselves, the design, and then the inspection and that obviously the quality of the, um, of the factory itself. And when, so we visited the factory to make sure that the quality was high <clears throat> and I was very impressed. Uh, you know, they have um, a bunch of first world capital equipment, in you know this allegedly low low labor cost country, um, you know there are very sophisticated cutting machines that actually optimize the cuts on a piece of uh, on a piece of fabric. There are incentive systems for quality on the line, so the 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 workers who actually sew the products get a incentive for sewing with no defects, um, and a whole bunch of other uh, you know fairly sophisticated management measures that, you know, were really impressive for um, a company halfway around the world. So that's, I think, how we found the quality. And then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, we inspected the product ourselves when it, when it arrived in the U.S. And the good news there was that our roughly one week of inspecting all of our product turned out to be um, we didn't find any defects. So all the work we'd done up until then paid off. That's um, awesome. Now, turning to sustainability, um, right now, we do not have an explicit policy on sustainability in terms of, you know, what we require of our suppliers, you know, or anything like that. We do have the expertise to develop that. Uh, because my daughter actually um, has a graduate degree in environmental management. Um, so 
it's something we will be looking at, um, you know, essentially when we design the next product. We just didn't do it with the first, uh, you know, the first set of products. I, I, so I, I simply do not know if there are any significant problems in, you know, what we've designed so far. I do not think there are, um, but, you know, I, I haven't actually done an environmental audit uh, of the facility itself, um, other than to ensure that it passed, like ISO 9000 and things like that. Now, in, the other comment I would make is there's a sustainability aspect to the way people travel. If you think about it, traveling light is a more sustainable way to travel. And that we explicitly encourage. That is our mission, is to help people travel effectively, lightly, and more easily. So we're big advocates of you know people traveling light, of never having to check a bag, of having freedom of movement on their journey, of being able to handle whatever their journey throws at them with only one bag. And even our packing cube set, um, which has been so popular that we're out of stock of it right now, um, is oriented that way. It essentially tells you what you need to pack. You pack what, what is designated for the packing cubes and you have everything you need for your trip. So we've tried to essentially build in the idea of lightweight travel to, you know, it's kind of the ethic of our, of our company. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I think about traveling for us with, with our business and when we're traveling personally, we travel very light unless we're skiing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's impossible to not check a bag when you ski <laughs> because unfortunately those don't fit in the overhead compartment. <laughs> yeah. Um, no one pulled down skis yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately not. <laughs> None that'll perform well. <laughs> um, but when I do travel and I don't like, it's it's always such an important piece of like being like I don't want to check a bag I want to be as minimal as possible like I spent a month in Japan last year with a few friends of mine and I wasn't doing any skiing or anything like that so I packed a very light suitcase and it was like this is perfect <laughs> this is exactly what I need and nothing more and you, you feel less stressed even just traveling like going to the airport um, yeah. getting on the plane and be like, I hope my, my bag made it. Nope. That thought didn't enter my mind because I know it is on the plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then even just traveling around like Japan, having a small bag is way better than having a giant bag <laughs> that you have to lug around everywhere. Yeah, exactly. The, um, and what, so what stress, what people find stressful, you know, you know, lightweight packing and lightweight traveling is a skill. And some people have acquired that skill and others have not. And part of what we're trying to do is make it easy for people to acquire that skill so that more people can enjoy what you just described, the benefits of traveling light so you're less stressed out, everything is more conveniently accessible, um, and you don't have to worry. I mean, that's, uh, I think, one of the keys to, to traveling well. Um, if, you're, if you're bouncing around a lot, you just don't want to have a, a bulky uh, bunch of suitcases accompanying you. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, sort of the journey of the business. And um, what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about uh, building 
uh, only travel? Um, you know, a hard part for us has been content and social media marketing. What we discovered that we didn't know when we started was that social media requires an endless stream of high quality photo content. You, you know, you just, you need photo after photo and every product feature needs its own photo. And, um, uh, you know, and we, when we started the business, we, we simply didn't realize that, you know, the sort of thought in my head was we build a website, we make it look nice and then it's done. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, what we discovered is that, you know, the content journey is a continuous living and breathing journey that requires a lot of focus, uh, and a lot of attention. Um, and so, um, I think that was more difficult than, than we thought it would be. Um, and How did I you think, solve that? Um, well, you know, like anything else, we, we, it was a mixture of experimentation and asking people who might know something that we didn't. Um, so, uh, you know, we, um, we've, you know, gone through a couple of different advisors on social media. Um, and we've uh, gone through, um, a couple of different, um, uh, you know, types of marketing campaigns to try to learn. We've made a couple of different videos, uh, you know, and we've learned as we've gone. And each, what I can say is each iteration, we're getting better. You know, I see our um, click-through rates improving. I see, you know, kind of the cost per click going down. I see the yield rate going up. I see, you know, the bounce rate on our website going down. Everything's trending in the right direction, but it doesn't happen on its own. And, it, you know, it's a lot of work. And, you know, I think if there's a third partner I wish I had in the business, I wish it were some sort of a marketing and graphic artist person because, um, you know, we sure could use that skill. For sure. Now, where do you see Only Travel going in the next year, five years, ten years down the road? Well, the um, the the broader vision here um, is to really become a portal for people who want to travel lightweight and travel well. So if you look at some of our um, taglines, one bag travel, the only bag you need, never check a bag again. You know, those are sort of symbolic of where we want to head. So obviously, the, you know, one of the most important decisions that somebody who wants to light, travel light has to make is what, what do I use for a bag? You know, roll-on suitcase or a backpack or what? Um, and obviously we want, you know, we're going to bring out eventually, um, other iterations of our, of our first product. Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we see opportunities already to make the product even more versatile and more, um, uh, you know, more capable. Um, but then the other thing is there are a lot of 
other components that help people travel light. Almost every other thing you take with you, you can think about whether it's optimized for travel or not. So take, for example, your workout clothes. You can have your workout clothes weigh, weigh 10 pounds and take up a cubic foot, or you can have them weigh about um, 10 ounces and take up you know, a small slice of your backpack. Um, so we're increasingly going to look for um, opportunities to provide additional products that are really useful to frequent travelers. Um, and to people who want to travel light. And so that could be some clothing lines. Uh, it could be accessories, you know, like, like pillows and things like that. Um, it could, you know, it could be a number of things. So that's one avenue for growth. The other avenue of growth um, comes from the design of our product itself. If you've looked at it, you've noticed that the front and back zip off of the middle or suitcase or backpack unit. So what that means is we can combine different front units with the same middle and back unit and in essence have a different product. So envision for a minute you want a backpack optimized for a skateboarder. You know, there are, there are backpacks specifically dedicated to skateboarding. There's no reason we couldn't make a front unit that has the diagonal strap across to carry a straight as a skateboard. And that could be a unique front unit somebody could purchase um, if they were into skateboarding. Similarly, if somebody's particularly into photography, there are a lot of bags which are oriented towards photographers. And there's no reason we couldn't make a front unit that did that. So if you think about it, you could start with your original only bag and then buy different front units depending on the different specific needs that you have. And since we have a patent on this idea or a patent pending on this idea of the front units front back unit zipping to the middle unit and then uh, coming up and going back together again, you know, we will be able to offer that in a very unique way to the marketplace. So that's a second possible uh, avenue for growth. And then, of course, the classic third avenue is just, you know, continue to build out our channels, our areas of distribution, where we sell the product. And, you know, right now we're essentially in the U.S. with a few peripheral sales and, you know, in other countries. But there's no reason we shouldn't couldn't eventually get a partner in Japan, a partner in in uh, Europe. We've had inquiries from Singapore, etc. So, um, you know, so we'll, we'll we'll begin to build develop those markets as well. For sure. Well, I'm I'm definitely excited to see where Only Travel goes um, in the next couple of years. And with that, for anyone who's listening to the podcast episode, uh, you can enter to win. Um, the only travel venture rolling pack. Um, if you ever head over to redyeti.com along with a ton of other travel gear. Um, and with that, David, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and the story of only travel. And um, really, uh, really looking forward to seeing uh, all the new products you guys uh, have coming, coming out in the future. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddie Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.